Hi everyone. Thank you for joining our Wednesday devotional. My name is Louie, and I am your Trinity's worship and media arts pastor. Each episode will have gospel-centered, meaningful discussions between Pastor Shamar and me. Join us every Wednesday for the podcast, and if you like what you see and hear, consider joining us on Sunday morning for worship. Thank you. Lord, we thank you. What a privilege, what an honor to sit here at this table and have good pastoral discussion and to look closely at your word and to think about the gifts and the grace that you've given us. Lord, be with us. Let your spirit rest. Help us to have the podcast be the right time to ask the right questions and to give the right answers. May your name be praised. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, Shamar. Hey, how's it going? Oh, so I have some questions for you this time. Okay, I'm ready. Um, so we've been talking about the book of Psalm, yeah. and we've been kind of looking at the New Testament and mm-hmm. things like that. Um, and that always brings up an important question, I think, specifically for non-believers. Yeah. Um, and to tell you the truth, a little bit when I was a when I was a non-believer, um, I didn't really find the concept of prayer yeah. something that I could relate to. Um, now, ritual I understood because I come from a cultural background that has a lot of rituals, of okay. course. Um, but I think prayer is an odd concept that can be easily misled into something else that it's you know that it's more of a ritual that it's more of a behavior so let's start with the generic question what is a prayer yeah so let me start let me let me preface my answer with this that like you prayer was one of those concepts that i really struggled with so much so that when I turned 18 and graduated from high school, I moved out of my parents' home, out of the state that I was born in. So, excuse me, not born, but lived in at the time. I was living in Kentucky at the time. Moved out of Kentucky, moved to California, walked away from God. And I was born in, I think, a fantastic religious home. Great parents. Um, great church, vibrant, vibrant youth department. I mean, just, so for me, my doubts started with the question of prayer. And I didn't understand why people needed to pray. Because God is all-knowing, right? Omniscient, omnipresent. Um, There's a third one. Right, but those omnipotent, uh, um, omnipotent, right? So he's everywhere, he knows everything, right? So, why do we even need to pray? And that question plagued me so much so that I thought, well, if God is all knowing and he's everywhere, right? And I think the third one means he's you know at every time, Mm -hmm. so he exists, Mm -hmm. he's always existed, he's everywhere, and he knows everything. Somebody needs to explain to me why we're praying in the first place, right? Mm Because if he's all those things, then he can just fix stuff. (laughs) Right. And that that bump in the road 
took me to a place of doubt. And that doubt took me to a place of not atheism, but I did become a pretty hard agnostic. Mm -hmm. And so walked away from God and came back to God, not so much on the topic of prayer, but on the topic of reason. I came back to God on the principle that God makes sense. And that things that he does, he does for a reason. And, you know, that and really around the idea of physics, right? Physics makes sense. There are formulas, there are equations. And so if you just know the formulas and equations, you can figure out the answer. And that if God is the God of physics and math, and physics and math made sense to me as a STEM major, then I was like, well, okay, you know, I can, we can try this again. And so I came back to God and in philosophy class, talking about (laughs) medieval philosophy and physics. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, but that didn't really answer the question of prayer. I think that I have probably just now started to understand it. But the first thing that I did, right, as soon as I had that awakening, I was in class, bowed my head in lecture, right? Professor still talking. And I said, Lord, if you are the God of math and physics, I can believe in you. And I felt his right. It was prayer that brought me back to life. It was like I felt his light slowly start to reenter my body. And, you know, here we are today. About, you know, more than 20 years later. So I think prayer at the very base level is a conversation between man and God. But I think that at a slightly deeper level, prayer is an opportunity for us to ask God to do things that he wants us to ask him to do. That he's He's beckoning us out of complacency and I don't really like this language, but I'll use it into um, what some of my professors call co-creation. Hmm. Right? That God creates and then he invites us to create with him. Mm-hmm. Which is in some ways is consistent. So, book of Genesis, right? first few chapters, God makes this beautiful garden, puts man in it and says, tend and keep the garden. And in chapter three, it says that God in the cool of the day would walk and talk with Adam. And so God could have made grass that cut itself, but he didn't. Right? He wanted Adam to cut the grass, so to speak, and he wanted to talk to him about it. That's prayer. So I guess bouncing off of that yeah. question what types of prayers do we see in the Bible most often? Most types of prayers. So, right, let's go back to the book of Psalms. You see um, about four or five genres of Psalms, right? Psalms of complaints, individual or communal, so two different kinds of complaints. Psalms of Yahweh's enthronement, um, Psalms of wisdom. So, like the Psalms or the praises, most of the types of prayers you see are requests born out of complaints. Mm. People asking God for things. Jesus lays a new model for the, right, for the church. So he's the one who introduces the concept of prayer for the sake of alignment and relationship. 
right? So he says to the disciples, well, they say, you know, teach us to pray. So he teaches them to pray as he taught his disciples. Our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Yours is the kingdom, power, glory. Amen. I think what shouldn't be lost there is one of those early ideas. Our Father which art in heaven, holy is your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. And so even in those moments, right, Jesus teaching his disciples to pray was about their participation in his kingdom. I mean, that you could make the case that maybe that's a, you know, somewhat of a cop out. They didn't ask anything specific, but that's the model for prayer. So the model includes you working as a participant in God's kingdom. And so later he would say, anything you ask in my name, right? That's a, that's a big deal. And so this keeps taking me back to this idea of he is inviting us to be not just on the team, but there's a level of partnership that he's inviting us to. Did I answer your question? Yes. I think uh, one comment that pops up in my head is it's so it's in a way it's it it can be similar to meditation or what a lot of people say meditation is where you're looking in yourself yes you're reflecting how you're feeling how you are just in general pure existence or emotional response and you're aligned trying to align that with god's will now i guess the next question then that pops up is is there a right way to pray yes I would argue that there is a right way to pray. I think it's more open. So I don't know that it's a hard and fast rule book, but I'll give you some scriptural examples of prayer. So Mm -hmm. I took the time to look this up. Genesis chapter 18. This is Abraham and God has promised him a son. He still doesn't have a son. Um, He has had an amicable split from his nephew Lot. So... Lot is living in the beautiful land of Sodom, and Abraham is living where he's living with Sarah. And so, here's what the Bible says. I mean, Genesis 18, starting at verse 1. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre, I think I'm pronouncing that word right, as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. So, what we see there, right, just in the first two verses is, Moses, Abraham, sitting in his tent at the door of his tent, heat of the day, probably in a moment of meditation. So I think you're right about that, right? Some moments of reflection. Um, Maybe praying, text doesn't say that, but he's just sitting there. So we imagine that he's doing something intellectual while he's sitting there. And then while he sits there, the Lord appears to him in the presence of three men, right? Fascinating. Fascinating. And 
So they start having conversation and they, they kind of go back and forth. You know, he's offering them food and they want to eat and Sarah's laughing. There's a, there's a narrative there and it's not unimportant, but that's not where, where I really want to go. Here's the reason why God comes to visit Abraham. You have to jump down to verse 22. So what he says is the men turned from there and went toward Sodom. So God and Abraham are done talking. They're about to head down to Sodom for some reason. Right. And so the text kind of goes back and forth between the men and the Lord. So you can put those together. So God is now making a trip down to Sodom. Then Abram drew near and said, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Now, God hasn't given any indications that he's going to do that. But Abram probably knows the reputation of Sodom. and He knows the nature of God. So he can probably put together smart guy. If God is going down to see Sodom, it's not going to be pretty. Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you sweep them away from the place and not spare it for the righteous 50 who are in it? Now, I saw that and I was like, wait a minute. Did God just go visit Abraham so that Abraham could negotiate for the life of Sodom? That's not often told as a part of the story. God, I'm confident, had heard about Sodom. <laughs> right. So it wasn't like, right, he's not a tourist. He's not reading the tour guide. And he's like, oh, man, I heard this really pretty city. Right. He knew what was going on. But the whole reason why he came to visit Abram in the first place, Abraham, by this point, he's, his name has been changed, is because he wanted Abraham to pray for Sodom, the city where his nephew Lot lived. So I think that the right kind of prayer to answer your question is the prayer that appeals for the mercies of God. Mm. Right. That's the right kind of prayer. Um, so going back to Jesus, I think this is why when he's teaching the disciples to pray, he says he includes in the prayer, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us, because both of those appeal to the mercies of God. Right. As does the way he opens the prayer, right? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, right? It is merciful for God to bring his kingdom, much more merciful than it is for him to leave the kingdom of Satan intact, right? The kingdom of the evil one. A lot of people are angry with God for some of the things that happen in the earth, but I would argue that those things aren't because of the work of God. They are because of the work of the kingdom of the evil one. And so we should be praying and acting in ways that bring the kingdom of God and destroy the kingdom of Satan. I would argue based on this old Testament model that that's the right way to pray. So I guess the next question then is knowing the right way to pray. Yep. Seeing that, that God wants us to, in a way, have a conversation with God. Mm -hmm. And it even says in, I can't remember exactly where it was, but I know in the Bible it talks about pray like you mean it, mm -hmm. like it's it's a private conversation. Mm -hmm. Don't showcase your prayer in public like yep. Pharisees do. Yep. Um, it's it's an intimate conversation between Father and yourself as an individual. Now, I guess that brings me to the next question, which is how does prayer that is spoken in congregation, as a congregation, I guess in a way enhances or 
progresses to our spiritual growth? That's a good question. So I guess I think I have to give them some kind of background information. So for worship, most of the time, uh, worship with the music part ends, and there's a little bit of time of prayer that's given to individuals. Mm -hmm. And then we oftentimes will pray together as one. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that can feel like almost like a ritual where it's done as a group. It showcases that we are outwardly believing in God. How could we, in a way, how could we do it so that it's not as a ritual, it's not as part of the service, so to speak, but as part of something that enhances our group's spirituality? So, so, fantastic question. So I'm going to go to the section that you just paraphrased. So Matthew chapter 6, this is just before... The Lord's Prayer, as we call it. So this is just before we get to the Our Father who is in heaven. This is uh, verse 5. So Matthew 6, 5. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. And then we get to the Our Fathers. So, a few elements here. Don't pray in hypocrisy. Right? Meaning, don't pray just to be seen. That seems to be the definition of hypocritical prayer because the purpose of prayer, as indicated here, is for intimacy and relationship. Hence, going into your private closet. I think that would have made a lot of sense to first century Jews, especially in the frame of relationship. So, there are certain conversations that I have with my wife out in public, but there are other conversations that are so intimate that we only speak them in our bedroom. And I don't mean sexual things. I mean, these are just private things that she and I talk about that are, you know, special in between us. And so they may be disagreements. They may be agreements. They may, may be affirmation. I may be telling her how beautiful I think she is or how much I love her. Or maybe talking about some areas of our relationship that, that we want to work on. But the definition of authentic prayer is private prayer where you bear the contents of your heart to God. Right? David said it like this in the Psalms. He said, search me and know me. And if there's anything in me that's not like you, take it out. So that's the, the frame of prayer that enhances us spiritually. Right? Not hypocritical. So intimate, honest, transparent. I think this includes what he says in verse 7 not heaping up empty phrases like the Gentiles because for them, their gods wanted to be exalted in the beauty of your words. And our God seems to be special in that he wants to be exalted in the beauty of his works. So 
the work that he does in us, because we were genuine with him, is what he likes more than how good we sound when we were asking for something. Right? It's, it's, it's very interesting and just really very different. I think that's one of the reasons why it's it's very easy to get into that trap of like you said praying empty phrases. Yeah. I think that's really something that I see yeah. most often as someone who's been in a church environment for a long time yeah. that they might even borrow some of the old phrases from the Bible. Yep. Without really realizing what they're necessarily asking in return, yeah, or maybe asking for, yeah. So I think the next thing that I want to ask is is more related to the testimonies and how how people come to believe in God, and as they start to process this idea of prayer. What is a good place to start? Um, because, and I, I don't really remember, if I'm being completely honest, from the moment that I became a believer to now, how I was progressing as a believer into the idea of prayer. Yeah. It may have started, however, like the ones that we talked about, how it was hypocritical, mm-hmm. it was yeah. empty phrases that I didn't necessarily believe in, but at the same time, I think I had good enough pastors at the time yeah. <laughs> who taught me that just tell God what you want to tell him, you know. And and I think what's interesting is that there are there seems to be this notion that prayer in itself is is always purposeful. Mm-hmm. Therefore, you always need to set a time out of your daily agenda to pray to God yeah. specifically. And I think what's confusing to a lot of people is that it doesn't have to be, in my opinion, I don't think it has to be specifically setting time aside, doing things like that. But it can be, hear my thoughts as you are driving down the road. Yeah. And I, I guess my question now is... How have you witnessed people navigating in this kind of, you know, uh, I don't want to say vague, yeah, but sometimes yeah. unclear and misled, misinterpreted notion of prayer? So my experience has been that most new believers probably struggle with this concept more than it's talked about. And so they're, unless you have sort of a tradition of prayer raised in a Christian household or something like that. I don't know that most people know how to pray or really do it in any appreciable way. So for them, prayer may be coming to church and then you pray with the group or somebody in the group prays for you. And I don't mean praise over you. I mean, the pastor is praying before or after the sermon and you could take that as your prayer for the week. Right. So we were talking in Bible study today. I'm answering your question. I'm going to go the long way. Um, we were talking in Bible study today, and we were in the book of Romans, chapter 6. And I'm just going to read the first verse, and then I'm going to talk about what I think prayer should look like for a new believer. So here's Romans 6.1. What shall we say then? Here's a question Paul asks. This is a rhetorical question, but it's, it's not obvious what he's really asking. Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? 
I was looking that up and I've heard that scripture my whole life. So very familiar. But I was looking it up to prepare for the lesson today. And when I looked it up, the commentator said, I think I was looking at the New Interpreter's biblical commentary. And so the, the commentator said, this doesn't translate well in the English. The, the definition is more rich in the Greek. So in the English, it sounds like God, right, Paul, right, through the Holy Spirit, is having a conversation about continuing in sin and behavior modification. So shall we continue to sin so that the grace of God may abound? He said, in the Greek, that's not really where the text will pull you. In the Greek, what the text is really asking is not so much a question about behaviors, but a question about citizenship. Hmm. So here's a better way of translating that, that question. Shall we continue in the land of sin that grace may abound? Right? So I used to live in the land of sin, was baptized in the water and the spirit. Now I live in the land of the kingdom of God. And so he literally is asking, shall we continue to walk in the land of sin when we, you know, having been raised to, to the new life of baptism, really don't live there anymore? Right? But again, he's not talking about behaviors. He's literally talking about, are you walking on the soils of the land of the kingdom? Right? He's not even implying that you will do that well. He's not saying you know how to be a good kingdom citizen, that you know how to live righteous. His question is just, if you have been raised to new life in Christ, shouldn't you walk in the land of the kingdom? And so when I was reading that and meditating on that, what occurred to me was how, for many people, prayer is often about requests or behaviors. But looking at the model of Abraham, what sometimes I think God wants and looking at the model of God and Adam is for us to ask him what it means to be a citizen in this new land. Right. So when I lived in this other, right now I'm pick on, you know, when I was in high school, I took France. I'm going to pick on France. Right? <laughs> so I'm born in America, but what if I decide that I'm going to move to France? Right. Shall I continue in America that grace may abound? Shouldn't I, since I've been baptized right, to this new life in France, shouldn't I move to France? Shouldn't I get a French passport? Shouldn't I get French citizenship? I should not go to McDonald's every day for lunch. Right? That's what I did maybe in America, but now I should go to a French cafe. Right? In America, at lunchtime, I go to the gym every day. Well, the French come home, have lunch, and then take a nap. So... Should I go to the gym or should I have intimacy with my family in the middle of the day? Right. But those those aren't really behavior questions. They are questions about how much I've embraced my citizenship. Mm. I think for any new believer. Questions about citizenship. Lord, I've been baptized, but what does that mean? You know, I, I, I read these scriptures or the pastor said this on Sunday morning, but, you know, what does that mean? Make that life to me. And, and it could be a negotiation. 
you know, Lord, if I do this, you know, will you save the city? <laughs> you know, like Abram and God. And you're going to really destroy the city for, if there's 50 there? What I didn't read was it's a negotiation down to 10. Mm. Then Abram goes, okay, well, Lord, there's probably not 50 there, right? I, I took a vacation there once. So I'm sure there's not 50. <laughs> but what if there's 40? Okay, okay, Lord. And then God is like, okay, I won't destroy it for the 40. Okay, Lord, great. What if there's only 30? God, okay, I won't destroy it for the 30. Abram, Lord, don't be mad at me. What if there's only 20? God, I won't destroy it for the 20. Okay, Lord, last time, for real. What if there's only 10? Right? That's a, right? That's a testing the bounds of citizenship kind of, kind of conversation. I think that's what God wants us to do. Test the bounds of citizenship in the private place of our, co- of our closets, as Jesus says, about what it really means to be raised to new life. I think you're you're making me realize something uh, that often is not talked about is like I think the concept of identity yeah. is pushed forward a lot in a lot of cultures nowadays. Yep. What is not talked about is how your personality is manifested through the identity that you have. Yes. And so what yeah. you're saying to me is basically I mean, we we talked about citizenship, but it's in a way asking God, how can I manifest yes. in the new declared, newly declared identity that I have formed in you? Yes, yes. So I think that's that's really I think that's a fascinating topic for yeah. and and very challenging one. Yes, for a lot of new yep. believers. And I think I have one last question sure. leading into that. What have you? And this is kind of off the off the Bible question. Yep. Okay. Right. Go put the Bible so down. so <laughs> it's it's based on sort of your experience. Yeah. And I mean, you've you've pastored, you've shepherded a lot of people. What kind of testimonies have you witnessed from the power of prayer? Oh. And and just share share a few yeah. that you you would you would love. to for people to remember uh, in any way, shape, or form. So, recently, um, so I'm, I'm the interim pastor of you know TBC now, uh, but before that, I was teaching a Bible study, Wednesday Bible study, you know, every day at 7 o'clock. So one of my guys said to me, you know, Pastor Shamar, I think that you know, God has given you the, the gift of prayer. And I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what he thought. So I wasn't going to talk him down. He said, so why don't you let me pose a challenge to the group? He said, they give you a list of things to pray for. And then, you know, you'll start like, you know, I think it was in January. So you'll start praying in January or maybe December. I don't remember. That's not the point. Anyway. You start praying, and then at the end of the month, right, so beginning of the month you start, you, by the end of the month, we will look at the results and see what happened in the prayer. Almost without exception, everything that they submitted for me to pray for, God did, and in some cases, better. So one guy wanted a new job. He got a new job making several more thousand dollars a month. Um, 
This other couple had some specific requests. There was a guy who had a health request. He had a sister who had been struggling with a long-term illness that the doctors could not figure out. And I think he said it was a couple years. And I was like, okay, God, <laughs> you know, that's, that's hard. What am I going to do about that? But, you know, okay, we'll trust you. His request was just, we want to know what it is. By the end of the month, the doctors told them what it was told them what the prescription was and it was better than they expected. Right. So two years of suffering only for them to go, Oh, it's just that. Right. I I don't want to pretend like all prayers go like that, but that was a very, for me, spontaneous month of prayer where I was intentional. There's a passage in the scripture that says early will I seek thee. I think it's in the Psalms or the Proverbs. And so Every morning I would get up and before I did anything, before I brushed my teeth, put on my robe, fall on my knees and just spend time in prayer, calling them by name, calling their requests by name. Sometimes I have my notepad by the side of my bed. And so in a very detailed way, doing what I call praying in the spirit. So, you know, asking God, Lord, how do you want me to pray for these people? What is it that you would like to do in these situations? And just spending a month seeking God and asking God for the highest and the best for them. And seeing them, right, this guy, finally, after a couple years, getting an answer for his sister, right, blew me away. Blew me away. So those are the types of things we've seen. And, you know, it makes me believe Jesus. He's, this, I know our time is running out, so I'll keep it short. But there's this passage in, I think it's St. John chapter 20, verses 22 and 23. And he said, this is Jesus after he's been crucified, he's resurrected, he's appearing to the disciples and he says, verse 22, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they will be forgiven. And if you would hold forgiveness of any, it is withheld. And I thought, wow, the power of prayer. Right? I have made it so small. Me walking away, like, what? You know, why do I need to pray? But God doesn't say that prayer is small. He actually says prayer is quite significant. That much like He and Abraham in Genesis chapter 18, you can change the city with your prayers. It's it's not magic. And I don't want to promise that everything you pray will prosper. Right. So, right. The prayer of Jesus. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right. There are limits, but he absolutely wants you to change the city or to change people's lives with your prayer. That. If there's anything that people remember, I want them to remember that, that it's not you're not just throwing wind around, Mm. but in some cases you are moving heaven and earth. I hope I answered your question. I think it did. So um, next time I would I would like to continue the conversation with prayers, but with regards to 
different denominations. Yeah. <laughs> I want to kind of dive into that because okay. there are some questions that I think you will find interesting. Yep. I can't um, wait. And, and we can we can talk more about that okay. next week. But I can't wait. I look forward to it. I think it's going to be... <laughs> It's going to be a very interesting conversation. Okay. But um, I have one last request. Sure. There might be some who's listening to this. Yeah. Or who's watching this. Who might be, they might not believe in God. Mm-hmm. They might be, they might believe in God, but they might be struggling mm-hmm. with their faith. And everyone who's going through a journey of some sort, whether that be hills or the valleys, I'm sure there are people who need prayers. Mm-hmm. Do you would you would you end the podcast with a prayer? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. Um, thank you all for joining. Uh, if you will allow me, I'd like to pray for you that, um, yeah, that you'll find peace with God, and that He will find peace with you. That you will know Him, and that He'll know you. So, let's pray. Lord, we thank you. What a privilege for us to be able to talk to you in this way, that prayer with you is not just throwing wind around. It's not flowery words. It is conversation and challenge and requests that in many cases you intend to answer or at least things that you want to talk about. In, In Abram's case, you did not save Sodom, but you did save Lot. And so, Lord, I ask that those who may be listening who are struggling with their faith or don't have any faith at all, but have a desire to have faith, that you will let them be like Lot today. Rescue them from the land of doubt and confusion and unbelief, of overthinking or underthinking. Help them to find you and clear place that makes sense for who they are and how you've made them. Reveal yourself to them. Make your love be known. But more importantly than that, let your kingdom be made known to them. And Lord, I would ask that you would invite them into kingdom citizenship. Let them join us on this side of heaven. Let them be your people. You be their God. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Louis. Really, these are always really good. These are always fun to yeah, talk about. And you, you frame it really well. I mean, you, you put a lot of work to this. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for joining. And if you want to find out more about us, yep. well, you can always see us on Sunday yep. at 11 a.m., yep. 1675 Strader Drive, Lexington, Kentucky, 40505. Yep. We would love to see you. We would. Come on out. Real line, uh, yourtrinity.com, and you can find us at Your Trinity on Facebook and YouTube. So check us out. <laughs>